This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Profiles in Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. In this episode, I am pleased to introduce Carl Van. Carl is the president and CEO of International Insurance Institute, which provides claims training and education to the insurance industry. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I wanted I wanted to get into this. I, I'm very uh, fascinated with insurance education. I, I'm of course it's getting close to the end of the year, so I have CE credits that are due, and uh, I I don't actually recall how you and I connected, but I saw your site and you had like a whole wealth of uh, educational materials that you provide there, and it sounds like you've been doing it for quite some time. So uh, my, fir- my first question, or, or, or I wanted to at least give you the floor and give you an opportunity to do a little bit of ele- elevator pitch, in- okay. International Insurance Institute. What is that? Well, basically, we were formed 20 years ago for the sole purpose of delivering training on-site to insurance companies. So you don't have to come out to us, we come out to you. And we go anywhere, the United States, Canada, UK, Australia, anywhere, and uh, deliver training. We focus quite a bit on claims because that's our background, but we do underwriting and operation training as well. And uh, that's really what we, how we started is to be uh, an alternative to having to send a bunch of people to some kind of training program. Or originally we started off as, uh, as a resource for companies that didn't have their own training department. Yeah. But within one or two years, we had some of the largest insurance companies, State Farm, Progressive, Allstate, uh, giving us a call and asking us to come in and do the training for them. So yeah. We've been doing it for 20 years now. And uh, from your website, it looks like part of, part of your offering is web-based as well. Yeah. Matter of fact, I can, I can go through kind of the training real quick. Sure. Why, don't, why don't you share your screen? Let's see what you have. All right. All right. Well, the main things we provide is world-class training. That's what we started off as. Um, we also um, have an annual conference. We provide educational books, and we have consulting services. Very briefly, our world-class training uh, in person, uh, and we have online training videos. For the in-person, basically, if you have 15 people or more, we'll come out to your location and train anywhere in the world. Uh, We go to the United States, of course, uh, Canada. We've been to England. We've been to Ireland. I was just in Australia in uh, April, going to Switzerland next year, and a friend of mine is trying to get me to go to Spain. Uh, year after that. So basically, we'll go anywhere to deliver training. Our catalog uh, includes just about anything anybody would, might want. I'll just start with the claims group. Uh, awesome claims customer service, real-lifetime management for claims, negotiation skills, strength finder, critical thinking. These are all just, you know, classes that can be, can be claims, but also underwriting. Uh, dealing with difficult people, some technical stuff like negligence, 
effective recorded statements, just listening and empathy skills anybody could use. Again, maybe a little technical, proper file documentation. These are all the types of classes. They're all in our catalog. And they're all available to just call us up and we'll come out to your location and we'll teach the class. So that's, these are all in our catalog. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much what we specialize in. Uh, the cost, training, I don't know if that's something I'm allowed to talk about. No, yeah, sure. Why not? Ask. It's uh, $300 a person for in-person training. Uh, the other training we provide is online training. We have four courses online. One, uh, basically, if you have less than 15 people or they're too spread out to bring together as a group, it's, it's a great alternative. We have a customer service class. We have a negotiation skills class. We have a critical thinking class. And for those people who say, hey, I don't have time for this stuff, we have a time management class for you. <laughs> so those are the online ones. This, this seems uh, – you had mentioned uh, underwriting and some other stuff, but these – be said, uh, you know, specific for claims, I'm assuming like critical thinking and time management, like th those would be pretty open to anyone in insurance that's looking to fine tune those skills. Yes. Like I said, we, we kind of focus on claims because that's our background, but any course that we have, we do also for underwriting operations, sales agents, we've done negotiation for sales agents, and, you know, uh, time management for underwriters, anything at all. Yeah. Uh, the cost of that, by the way, just I'll throw that out. People always ask that. It's, it's basically $119 uh, per person for a full course. And that's a yeah. full online course. Yeah. And when they do a course, do they get some kind of certificate or something at the end of it? Yes. Everybody gets a, a completion course. And the negotiation skills is actually approved for CE for claims people. Okay. Okay. Um, well, also, one thing that we do is we do a specialized claims training where we actually design and go into the studio and film a course specific to a particular company. So that a company might call us up and say, hey, we want you to do a two-hour training on LK&M exclusion of this our policy, whatever it is. We design the program, we go in and film it, and we turn it over to them. And, you know, they own the copyrights, and they put it on their LMS, and they have it for the rest of their existence, really. So that's one of the other training. And uh, the cost of that, uh, I got to tell you, I'll, I'll send a flyer on that one. <laughs> <laughs> negotiation so, skills. There you go. That's a biggie. That's a biggie. So uh, I, won't, I won't spend anybody with that. But one thing we do have is we have a, uh, an annual conference. It's called the Claims Education Conference. But again, a lot of underwriters and agents come. It's a three-day conference in New Orleans. We're the only conference in the United States that has their own working daiquiri machine. And uh, basically, it's, just, it's a good time with, with lots of training and getting to know people. And uh, if anybody's interested in that, it's $1,095 per person. And then uh, we also do educational books for a lot of, for some for claims people, but from some for anybody, like the eight characteristics, the ultimate employee, attitude, ability, maybe 20 rule. Uh, those are very generic. We did do a specific book called the claims book cookbook just for fun. Uh, real recipes with some of the best chefs in the, uh, in the country that helped us. We have things like you know, Boston claim chowder and, Attorney Renton lies on you know, <laughs> the daiquiri is always a popular one. But uh, so we have those, and uh, the books are basically pretty much $24.95 per book. And uh, that's it. In the last section, we do consulting services. So um, our consulting services are we do uh, auditing, we do Form letters. Funny thing about that, form letters is a big one. You know, someone will call us up and say, hey, we want a letter on advising a claimant to move a vehicle, save storage. Okay, here, we'll write you a letter for you. 
hey, we want a letter on to a claimant advising there's a two-year statute in Arizona. Okay, fine. Here's a letter. We wrote it for you. We want a form letter on something real technical. Uh, we want to be able to advance money on an infant that's been injured in an accident, but we want credit for it until he's 21. Okay, here you go. And so it's one of those services we provide, and even, even real technical stuff. In California, there's a law that says you don't collect general damages if you don't have insurance. Okay, here's a letter for you. So that's one of the consulting services. We also do uh, help companies expand because we have a lot of uh, expertise in our team with that. Best practices, of course, because we work with all companies all over the United States. And lastly, uh, procedure development. So companies that need help developing internal procedures and things. And that's really it. That's our, that's our whole uh, program there. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. It, it, uh, another takeaway I get from this, Carl, um, that seems interesting to me as someone who's doing a startup is um, a lot of the skills I think would be very valuable from an onboarding session, almost like culture building. You know, you have an, an organization and you want to make sure your employees are coming in and they have some foundational level knowledge on negotiation, on how to be a good employee, on this or on that. Um, has, has anyone ever uh, used you for that? Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's, that's part of what we do. We help design something just for that from, from brand new to you know, two years, the types of skills that they tend to use. So we'll, we'll work with them. A lot of uh, companies use some of our videos. First, first day on the doors, they have to watch our customer service program and be able to pass the test in that. And, um, and then some uh, companies, you know, in order to get your promotion, you have to have completed these courses that we offer. Uh, some a series, you, gotta, you have to watch the video, you got to read these two books, and you have to complete this course, and then, then you're eligible for promotion. Yeah. Among other things. So, yeah, that's a lot of what we do. Basically, uh, anything anybody needs in, in the insurance business is something we try to provide. Yeah, so it, um, I, I was also going to say, even your claims uh, material, that'd probably be uh, very advantageous for TPAs, uh, broker adjusters, um, you know, independent adjusters as well. Right, oh, absolutely, anybody. And the funny thing about it is even the level of experience doesn't much matter. Even people have been 15, 20 years, find the training pretty valuable because we focus on real-life situations. And if you don't mind, I've got a couple examples for you. Sure, yeah, please, go ahead. A good example is uh, with customer service or negotiations, claims people just, just tend to say things that they don't even realize what they're saying. So I was listening to this adjuster, and he called up this customer and said, hey, I had an opportunity to look at your file and came up with a value of $3,000. And after what, I went back to him. I said, okay, let's, let's break this down. You took, just told the customer you had an opportunity to look at his file. What do you mean an opportunity? I mean, an opportunity amongst what? All the other important things you do. I mean, when you say you had an opportunity to look at their file, it makes it sound like you're, you know, you fit it in on the way to the potluck lunch on Friday. I wouldn't tell a customer I had an opportunity. I would say my job is to make sure you get what you're entitled to. And in order to make sure I do that, I took these steps. Uh, and also he said, uh, I had an opportunity to look at your file. So again, I said, well, what do you mean took a look at it? What does that sound like you took a look at it? That kind of sounds like oh, I just glanced at it. You know, we want to impart to a customer who worked hard for them. I wouldn't say I had an opportunity to take a look at your file. I would say I want to make sure I covered every detail in this because this is important. And by the way, even when he said the number, hey, we came up with $3,000. What does that sound like? Ah, just made it up, right? Yeah. So, so even experienced people will say things that they don't recognize have an impact uh, in the customer's minds. 
And so that's a lot of what we do. And from the time management, customer service, whatever it is, it's always real life, something that they can go back and change and improve right away. And that's, that's what we like about our courses. I want to learn more about the time management part. And, and this is completely self-serving. Okay. Uh, t- today was just one of those days where my head was spinning. And um, the, the calendar was taking advantage of me, essentially. And I felt like I went through an entire day and didn't get a single thing done. So uh, uh, sell me the course. Like I, I, you know, I, I need help obviously, but uh, what would, what would someone get if they took the time management course? Well, let me give, (laughs) let me give you an example. When people come into our class, the very first thing they'll ask is Carl, how could I possibly return 50 phone calls in a day? You you tell me how that's possible. And as soon as somebody says that to me, usually my answer is, well, now I know your problem. You see, you can't possibly return 50 phone calls in a day. That's not possible. You're trying to solve an impossible problem. You see, you asked me the wrong question. The question isn't, how could I return 50 phone calls? The question is, what am I doing that's making me get 50 phone calls? And we go over 12 different things that we oftentimes do, interacting with our customers that generate phone calls. And I got a, I got a quick example for you, if you don't mind. Yep. I have to share my screen with you again. Uh, let's do it. So we'll do that. I had an adjuster came to me one time and said, hey, uh, Carl, would you help me get my manager off my back for me? <laughs> I said, yeah, what's the problem? And he said, well, he's always telling me to answer the phone. Well, you know, maybe you should answer your phone, you know. <laughs> well, but sometimes I'm, well, I'm on the phone or, or I'm, I'm, I'm working on something important and, and I don't want to be interrupted. So I just like to call one a voicemail and then I'll deal with it later. I said, oh, you're just trying to be efficient. Yes, I'm just trying to be efficient. Okay. So I asked him, well, how many phone calls do you think you get in a week? And he said 200. Now, it seemed like an exaggeration to me, but I never questioned people. Okay, fine. You get 200 phone calls. Here's what I said. I said, basically, you have two options when the phone rings. Okay. You can let it go into voicemail or you can answer the phone call. Right? These are your two options. Let's say you're at your desk and let's say you answer every single phone call that comes in. Now, of course, you can't do that because sometimes you're on the phone and sometimes you're not there, but let's say you could. If you could answer every single phone call that comes in, how many total phone calls you got? Well, you got 200. Now, let's say instead of that, you let every single call go into voicemail. You don't answer a single call. Okay. What do you now have to do with those 200 calls, those voicemails? Well, you're going to have to call back. Listen to them, right? Then Trash. Call them. Yeah. Um, but most time management experts say you won't have to call back 100%. You're only going to have to call back 90%. So now you're going to have to make one phone calls. Yeah. So let me ask the next question. Are you going to get all 108 of those people? No. no. Time management experts say you get about half. So you'll talk to nine to leave a message for 90. What do those 90 people do when they get your message? Call you back. Not 100%, 90%. So now you get 81 phone calls and of course it rolls into voicemail. What do you have to do with those 81 phone calls? Got to return them. Not 100%, 90%. So now you got to make 72 outgoing phone calls. Do you get all 72 of those people? No, you get about half. So you talk to 36 and you message to 36. What do those 32 people do when they get your message? Call you back. Not 100%, 90%. So now you get 33 phone calls and it rolls into voicemail. What are you going to do with those calls? You got to call them back. Right? Not, not, not 100%, 90%. So now you got to make 30 outgoing phone calls. Do you get all 30 of those people? No, you get about half. So you see where this is going? This is called the voicemail multiplier. And what the voicemail multiplier says, by the time this is done, by the time you finish this process, this is going to add up to somewhere between 600 and 800 phone calls. Now, the adjuster I was talking to said, well, I don't get 600 phone calls. And I said, yeah, I know, because you answer your phone, thank goodness, sometimes. But here's what the voicemail multiplier says. It says that for every call that you could have answered, you could have done it, but you didn't. You chose not to for whatever reason. You have just generated, on the average, three to four more phone calls later. You have generated work. 
You have created work. And this work doesn't even exist until you chose not to answer that call. And why did you choose not to answer the call? In order to be efficient. So what I told him is, is that, you know, just let's just try for a week. Anytime you can, when the phone rings, just pick it up. I mean, just do what you can. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, did you, work, did you see what happened on the bachelorette last night and your phone rings? <laughs> you know, just say, hey, let's do this at lunch. I got to get this call. Okay. Here's why that's important. The top two complaints of almost any claims organization in the United States, the number one and number two almost always are number one, they're not available. And number two, they don't return the phone calls. So here we are letting calls go into voicemail because we think we're more efficient when actually generating more work. So that's an example of the type of time management that I try to talk about. Um, what I try to talk about is what are we doing that's generating work and let's first get rid of that. Then what's left, let's prioritize and let's organize. Mm. And that's that, the example I just gave you right there is something that I've had so many people come back and say, you know what, I did it and it worked. I can't believe it. It's been great. You know, okay, now what's, what's the next trick? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have a full day of those types of things. And we have the same practical tips for customer service, critical thinking, teaching, coaching, whatever. Yeah, did, did you say um, what, teaching, coaching? Yeah, we have, a, we have management classes. We have leadership. We have teaching, coaching, managing change. And, you know, that's a big thing because uh, underwriters and claims people and operations folks, they all fall into the same category. They're really good at their job, and then they get promoted to being in supervision. And very few people have actually been taught, here's how you yes. Here's what's going to motivate your staff. They just kind of say, okay, here's what I did. And they expect everybody to be as good as they were. Uh, and so very few people. It's kind of like, you know, if you're a great auto mechanic, and then all of a sudden one day somebody says, okay, now you're a pilot. <laughs> well, you know. Completely. Yeah. No, no. It, it, it's I go, I, I, I've written about this, that the two most difficult business skills uh, that I think exist are the ability to sell and the ability to manage people. Right. And, uh, and we take it for granted. You just automatically, the worst is uh, the best salespeople almost never become the best sales managers. <laughs> you know, it's like very, very, very common saying. So I love that. Did you also say that uh, you have course training in production, like in sales? Uh, no, not so much sales. It's, okay. it's negotiation, but we've done negotiation classes for sales and, you know, sales staff. Yep. When you think about it, sales and negotiation definitely cross over. The concepts are so very close. It's not a matter of trying to pay somebody less or get something less or, or pay, get them to pay you more or anything like that. It really is just a matter of being persuasive so the other person sees your point of view and can change their mind without feeling like they're, they've been wrong. Yeah. And that's one of the concepts. You know, one of the concepts is you never have to prove anybody wrong. You only have to prove yourself right. And so many times when salespeople are trying to change someone's mind, they try to show them that the person's wrong. When the very best expert negotiators will say, you don't have to do that. All you got to do is prove yourself right. Don't argue with their reasons. Argue the facts. Yeah. You know? And so, yes, so that's, they cross over quite a bit. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really interesting. So uh, let, let's rewind the tape a little bit. How did you get into this? <laughs> well, I was a, I started off as a claims adjuster. I was a claims adjuster for six years. Yeah. I was a claims supervisor, branch manager, regional manager, division manager, you know, up the ranks. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, really, I liked it. But, uh, you know, I was a little unhappy sometimes with the training that people got when they came back from some training 
seminar or even our own, own home office training, they didn't have the practical information to actually do their job. So I started holding my own in my office, little mini training camps for my own people. And pretty soon, some of the other branch managers started calling up and saying, hey, can I send my people to your training classes? I almost started an underground training program at my company. And I just decided, you know what? If, if we have this issue, other companies might have this issue. And uh, so I started International Insurance Institute 20 years ago, and it's taken off since then. Been doing it 20 years now, and <laughs> yeah, will enjoy it. You, you strike me as the type. You're probably um, just a natural teacher. I bet when you were doing claims adjuster, adjusting, you were probably also, you know, volunteering your wisdom and insights to those that were around you. You, you strike me as that type. Well, I, I, liked, I like being a trainer. I do like because I like helping people. And that was the part about being a claims person I liked the most. Of course, there's a lot of work to do. And sometimes people yell at you and they don't appreciate. And, you know, you have to balance. Yeah, That's of course being that job. But, you know, it's the job is what you make of it. And what I found most rewarding is people needed help. And even when I remember that, they need my help. Even when they're yelling at you, you, know, you guys are trying to cheat me. That's okay. My job is to help you see we're paying you what you're supposed to get. That's right. I'm, help, I'm helping you by getting you to understand that this is the right thing to do. And when I focused on that, that's when I really started enjoying my job. And yes, that is what I enjoy about teaching is, is getting the feedback from people in class. This is going to help me. You know, yeah. thank you. And usually, not the feedback most people get out of training classes, you know, oh, I can't believe I got to be here. So that's why we try to focus on real life stuff that people can put into place right away. Yeah, the uh, the issue that I'm running into now is um, we get we onboard folks, and there's a particular culture that I want to instill, and I want everyone to kind of go through it. So uh, you and I will probably be talking after this because I want um, you know I wanted to make a I want to make it the standard practice for onboarding new employees from everyone, executives all the way down. Everyone has to go through these courses because. Right. I, this is what our company needs to be about. This is who we want to be, how we want to present ourselves to the world. Well, you made a good point from, from the top down. Uh, and that's one mistake a lot of companies make is they'll send the staff to the training, but the management team won't come and because uh, they're too busy doing other things. And unfortunately, that sends a message. The message is my work is more important than what yeah. you, you do. So the very, most, the very best and most successful leaders I have found, ones who have been very involved in the training, and yeah. uh, and they show up for class, and they you know they engaged, and they're part of it, and you know lead by example, of course. But uh, you know, just by their presence, they show people that this is important. Yeah, completely. Do you do uh, in any of your courses? I, I've become you know really fanatical about the word trust, and all of all of it's just such a simple word. I think we take it for granted. You know, it's like, Oh, I'm trustworthy. And you kind of dig in. I'm thinking of, um, Stephen M. R. Covey wrote a book called the speed of trust. Mm-hmm. And he goes into like the L breaking down trust into elements. Like you wouldn't ask if you're, if you're, if your brother-in-law was a radiologist, you wouldn't, he might be the most trustworthy person in the world, but you wouldn't ask him to do brain surgery on you. There's, there's something that's, there's a credibility, a, a, a performance issue that's missing there. And he broke it down nicely. I mean, did any of your material go, materials go into that, that kind of topic? Well, that customer service and negotiation is a big element of trust. Uh, people have to trust you quite a bit and, and makes your job harder if they don't. So we talk about what makes people want to trust you. 
And one of the maxims that we have is people trust someone who's trying to help them and they don't trust someone who's trying to hurt them. So you can say things any way you want to. You can say to someone, if you don't sign the form, we won't pay you. Or you can say to someone, if you do sign the form, I can help make sure you get paid. Yeah. You could say to someone, hey, we only pay what we owe. Or you can say to someone, I want to help make sure you get everything you're entitled to. Yeah, yeah. Say to someone, uh, sounds like you're confused. Or you can say to someone, you know what, let me see if I can help clear this issue up for you. And that's a big part of, uh, you know, people, people want to trust you. And do, do you have a reason? Do, you, do they have a reason to trust you? Did you give them something? And so, yeah, so we talk about trust and what the fastest way to gain trust versus the fastest way to lose it. Yep. And unfortunately, in, in our business, even underwriters will do the same thing. They'll say, well, if you don't fill out this paperwork, if you don't sign it, we can't uh, you know, issue a policy. So the same thing. Here's a threat. If you don't do this, here's how I'll hurt you. Instead of if you complete it you know, and help me fill this out for you, I can help make sure you get covered. Sometimes it's just a matter of how we say things. Sometimes it's, some, it's words. We say words willing to. I've heard an underwriter say that. Okay, we're willing to write this policy. The problem is you tell a customer what you're willing to do for them. You're not sounding magnanimous. What The words willing to mean, I'd rather not. Everybody knows that. If somebody says to you, I'm willing to take you to the airport, but do they want to? No. They get out if they could, but they will. Well, you tell a customer what you're willing to do for them. You're not sounding magnanimous. You're actually sending a message. This is the least I can do. I don't like doing this. I'd get out of this if I could. Well, if you want someone to trust that you're doing everything you can for them, then you don't tell them what you're willing to do. And so sometimes it's just a matter of the right words and knowing that and how people react to, you know, how you're trying to help them. You know, one of the concerns I have about instituting corporate training is, uh, great, I love it. Get everybody in, we do the training, and then poof, over time it disappears. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about uh, con- uh, repetition uh, on a semi-annual or annual basis to, to say, you know, we're going to train you and we're going to keep going over a lot of the same material over and over again so much it, it becomes part of your DNA and, and who you are. Almost like a, a sports athlete who trains so much that when they get in those stressful environments, all they need to do is just do what they do. Just do right. what you've practiced. You don't even have to think about it anymore. What do you think about that? Well, I'm a big fan of giving people support for the training, uh, but teaching why they need the information. So the exact example I gave you, why should I pick up the phone? Rather than beat somebody to death about pick up your phone, pick up your phone, pick up your phone, and give them objectives and beat them and punish them if they don't do it, why not just teach them why it's beneficial for them? And they'll probably do it anyway. Then after you do that, then yes, some repetition is important. I mean, because people will forget. And in any training, people will forget something if they don't use it right away, which goes back to, again, why it's important for the management team to support it, because how are they going to support what someone's learning if they don't know it? And so many times, we call it the dip method, by the way, here, we're going to dip you in this batter. Okay, now you've been dipped. Now put you on the shelf. (laughs) I should be fine from now on. And and sometimes the management team needs to be there and needs to... Okay, well, remember back in the training. Remember when yep. we learned this? Okay, well, let's, let's apply this to the situation. We, three weeks ago, we talked about this, so let's go back to it. So you need not only the information, again, which is why you know, that, uh, the videos are valuable and the books are valuable, but you also need reinforcement from the management team. And, and you, have to, you have to hear it a, a few times. Habits are hard to break. And that's probably the thing most uh, people in the management field who haven't been taught how to coach don't realize habits are hard to break and it's going to take a 
lot of reinforcement. Like you said, I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of telling them to do it over and over again so much and they, now they do. Or it's a matter of teaching them why they're doing it and getting them to understand it and then supporting them in it. Yeah, completely. Um, so going back 20 years, um, did you think you'd be where you are today? No, I, I thought, well, I kept moving up the chain. So I thought I was going to just keep going up until I was, I don't know, president of some company, I guess. That's really what I thought. But what I did find out, and I enjoyed it, but what I did find out is the higher I got in the executive level, the more I missed dealing with the people who actually did the work. And, you know, the, either the underwriters or the uh, risk management people or the claims people, whoever it was, I liked working with those people. And I found myself as an executive who was supposed to be issuing monthly reports and running around looking at numbers, wanting to be seeing what the staff was doing and seeing if I could help. So uh, it's not what I envisioned, but it, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, I mean, it's definitely something, you know, for the last 20 years, this is something you enjoy. It's, it doesn't seem as work, that old cliche. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been great. And, and I, I couldn't, I don't think I could have picked a better career for myself now. Yeah. No, I, 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 there's, a, there's an element to training and to teaching that I very much think, you know, when, this, when I'm done this, that's what I want to do. I just, you know, helping other people, which, which is a great segue because I'm going to go into some personal questions now. Okay. Um, and so that's what I would like to do when I retire, you know, teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? When you retire, what do you think you'll be doing? Oh, I just, I can't even imagine retiring. I really can't. I just, I think I'm going to be always involved in something, but I suppose when I do retire from presenting and writing um, training programs, I'll probably spend more time writing books. I do like writing books. I've written seven books and most of them have been on airplanes. (laughs) The only spare time I have is after we take off and before we land and all seven books I've written have basically been during those periods of time. I think I would just love to be rent some, you know, house on the lake somewhere and for three weeks from start to finish, be able to complete my thoughts all the way through. I think that would be really pleasant. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to doing that. I love that. And, you know, spending time with my, my wife, my granddaughter and kids or, you know, of course, family is important. So, but as far yeah. as work goes, I think just being able to, you know, pass on some knowledge I have and without the time pressure of, running a business, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, are there any tools or techniques that you use to stay productive and or organized? Uh, tools or techniques. Well, uh, the advancement of technology is really amazing. And it all is. That's why I asked the question. Cause it's self-serving. I'm, I'm trying to piggyback on other apps or tools that people use. Uh, cause it's, you know, it's something that I struggle with. Oh, Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, there's so many, uh, you know, just notes and diaries now and, you know, how just, you know, you do have um, whole apps, nothing but help you organize and prioritize. Um, So I don't really, we we try to stay away from that as far as teaching in class because people have those apps. So we teach more personal habits, but certainly there's tremendous tools out there. uh, And even, even on your phone, just to be able to say into your phone, remind me in two hours to do this. (laughs) <laughs> that's an amazing thing. Amazing technology. Yeah, sure is. Disposal. Yeah, sure is. Uh, besides your books, are there any books that you've read that you have found to be influential in business and or personal parts of your life? 
The one that had the greatest influence on me was a book called The Psychology of Achievement by Dr. Brian Tracy. And in that book, it's, gosh, got to be 30 years, 35 years, who knows how long. But in that book, he does a very good job of outlining how the most successful people have an attitude and an outlook uh, to be successful. And that it's more of how you see things and, and what you want to be than it is how smart you are or even how hard you work. Yeah. So it's called The Psychology of Achievement. And matter of fact, I quote uh, Dr. Tracy in my book, Attitude, Ability, 80-20 Rule, where I focus on the fact that whatever your attitude is, is how you're going to perform. And, uh, you know, example, uh, I was listening to a claims person on the phone, and he said, to, a customer said to him, you know, I've been insured with you guys for nine years. Now you're not going to pay my claim? And he said, well, that's got nothing to do with it. He's right, doesn't. So later on, I went out after, you know, after the phone call, I said, let me ask you this. Let's pretend, just pretend, that your entire job was to make a customer feel like you valued them, that you cared about them, okay? Because that's what makes people stay with you. You care about them, that, that you see them as a valuable asset to your company. Let's pretend that. And let's try this again. <laughs> so I said, uh, you know, I've been insured with you guys for nine years, and now you're not going to pay my claim. And this time, that same investor said, you know what? Nine years is a very long time. Thank you for your loyalty. Appreciate that. Want to let you know, even if you've been insured with us for nine days, we'd still make sure you get everything you're entitled to. But do appreciate your loyalty. Now, so what changed? His ability or his attitude? Now, he didn't have a bad attitude. He's a good, hardworking adjuster. The attitude we're talking about is, do you understand your job? Do you understand your role? Do you understand what you're here to accomplish? So when I'm trying to help people improve customer service, that what I, that's what I talk about. Well, yeah. imagine your job was to make this person feel valued, and would you still have said the same thing? Would you still have been short or not explained something, or would you have done something different? So that's an example of the things that I see quite a bit where people can improve just by reminding them you're here to provide customer service. That's what we do. We're, we're 100% customer service business in the insurance business. You know, I've had people say, well, we fix houses. We don't fix their houses. Somebody else has fixed their houses. Well, we mend their wounds when they're injured. We don't do that. Somebody else does that. We arrange for those things to happen. That's the service we provide. But we don't actually do anything other than provide customer service. Yeah. customer service business. And so when I am able to focus, whoever it is, claims or underwriting people on that, then they naturally change how they interact with their customer. So that attitude, attitude of building the 20 role was you know, very much influenced by Dr. Brian Tracy in his book, The Psychology of Achievement. Oh, awesome. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have one final question. Um, you know, ed education's tough. What do you think, what's, what's the toughest part of, the, or what's the, um, what's, the, what's the one area of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis that you think would be least understood or um, the most discounted by the general public? Um, if, if they were just like, just to say, oh, you're, you know, you do online or face-to-face uh, -face educational material, what, what one thing do you think they would not get about it? I'll, I'll tell you, my experience in the last 20 years is when you inspire people to improve themselves, they will do amazing things. And a lot of training, why people don't like training, is they go in and give the information. Sometimes they can say why you need the information, but they don't inspire people to want to improve themselves. And that's one of the keys. Once people believe it's their job, your job is to get better. We're, we're, 
We're, we're sending you this training class. We're paying you to be there. We're paying for the instructor. I expect you to be able to do something better when you return. Uh, can be very valuable. And when, once people believe that it's their job to get better, they will do uh, incredible things. And so I think from the outside, uh, people probably don't recognize that's the hardest part. And something we try to do, you know, and we believe we do very successfully in our class, is to make sure we're inspiring them to want to go out and make a change. And that's where I think a lot of people, sometimes they don't like training because it doesn't think like that. Yeah. So we focus on it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to end it there. I think that I think we have the title for this podcast, inspiring people to improve themselves. I'll take it. I'm going to, I'm going to try to squeeze that in. Um, so uh, how can people reach out to you, Carl? Ah, well, uh, I can share this, but uh, our website is www.experienceinstitute.com. Uh, they can email me directly. My email address is carlvan at insuranceinstitute.com. And my phone number, 504-393-4570. And I always answer my phone. So I don't like following a multiplier. So uh, it, unless I'm in a class, I will answer the phone. You will take your own advice and eat your own cooking. I like that. I like that. Uh, Carl, I appreciate you coming on, uh, educating us about education. And uh, you and I are actually going to talk at some point in the near future. So for anyone that's listening, uh, this, is, this is how business deals get done. This was all serendipity. Uh, it, it was all self-serving too. I, I had you on because I had all of these things floating in my head. So I wanted to get free advice. Well, and now, now I can pay you back by actually becoming a customer. So uh, okay. thank, thank you so much. And um, we'll get, that, get this out there to anyone that's listening. My guest this week has been Carl Van. And Carl, thanks again. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.